with what's new in adapted physical education bringing you part two of an exciting uh, conversation with Dr. Jeff McGubbin and Barry LeVay uh, is, is running that conversation and uh, once again Dr. Melissa Bittner is all uh, recording it and uh, helping me out with some of those things so just giving a brief introduction these two leaders and thinkers in our field really help to refine and navigate our field after uh, that really powerful Education for All Handicapped Children Act uh, came out in 1975 and helped kind of uh, refine our field and, and drive us to move forward. And in this part two of part of three-part episode, he's going to talk a little bit about advice for young faculty member who are in the field of APA or APE, uh, as well as he talks a little bit about mentoring those younger uh, professionals, and I think that could be used for pretty much anybody. Uh, mentoring such an important aspect of our field uh, and just growth. He talks a little bit too about grant writing and the management of grants, um, which is very important information if you're ever interested in getting a grant, which I'm still at the very early stages of that part of my career. And lastly, uh, they talk a little bit about identifying issues in adapted physical education uh, and just like identifying, like, like talking about identity issues within our field, like who are we? And uh, I, I think that's an exciting topic, and that's something I really um, promoted me to even like start this podcast in the first place. Is that question of who are we? Uh, because you know, if you go from state to state, school to school, you know, profession to profession within our broad range, you see a lot of different things. So, with that, I'm going to let Dr. Levey uh, take it from here. Uh, make sure you listen to part one if you have not listened yet. This is uh, part two of our podcast where um, Jeff last time in part one, he discussed his background and, and his professional training. In this part, we're going to discuss um, Jeff's university teaching and his research, and um, there's going to be a lot of good insights for not only AP teachers, but young professionals in higher ed and adaptive PE. So, so Jeff, um, last time we were, we were talking about you're at Ohio State, and then you went to uh, Texas Christian, Christian University, yep. but then um, you took a position uh, at Oregon State. You, you probably spent close to 20 years at OSU as a professor. You coordinated the movement studies and, dis and disability program. So you you arrived at OSU in '88, and, and at that time you, you started working with John Dunn, who was a real leader, and you had that connection because you both were at Connecticut and you studied with Ohio State. So as a young yep. professor, what'd you learn from, you know, uh, from those early years or from, from John or from just the program in general at Oregon State? Because I know they've always had a really strong uh, program in adaptive PE. Yep, exactly right. And, and uh, when I went to uh, Oregon State University, uh, there are a couple things. One, John was uh, certainly a tremendous leader there. And he, too, was one of the few people in the country that called it special physical education. So if you go back and look at the Dunn textbook, it's special education uh, because he co-authored uh, Hollis Fate's book called Special Physical Education. So I actually moved uh, to that and used textbooks uh, at that point in time called Special Physical Education. Uh, but what I learned, and John was actually in an assistant dean position when I got there, and he was still teaching one class, but he pretty much 
uh, said, Jeff, I'm glad you're here. This is going to be your program to run. But he was a tremendous, tremendous mentor and uh, and model professional for me and continue to be so throughout my career. Uh, what I learned most, I think, from John was the uh, sort of a systematic effort that uh, around how to develop grant proposals to continue to keep funding for uh, graduate students. Um, Oregon State uh, was one of the first programs to be funded uh, for master's degree students. It was part of a group of probably 10 or 12 across the country that did that. And when I got there, John and I uh, were uh, developed the first PhD grant to support our PhD students. Um, John had had a research project, or I guess it was really a special project that was called Database Gymnasium that supported some doctoral students prior to my arrival in the late 80s. But essentially, we were able to write the first doctoral training grant at Oregon State University. And I'm proud to say that since 19, I think it was 1990 when that was funded, Oregon State has been funded since that time, used to be funded uh, well after my uh, departure from Oregon State eight and a half years ago. Uh, and so, um, but I learned how to write grants primarily uh, working closely with John Dunn and, and the things that he helped share with me, uh, I think were critically important. But he also had a tremendous ability to demonstrate how paying attention in meetings made a difference. Uh, and, and so John had the ability to listen to five or six different people, summarize and, and get to the point. Um, and if you look about at our, I mean, our professional area of adaptive physical education, it's all about building collaboration and building teamwork across uh, various areas. And John was exceptional in trying to do that in a meeting where there was disagreements and he could uh, focus that. And so one key thing I learned from John was really being able to pay attention in meetings and, and look for the common language and common direction that would come forward. Uh, and, and that's something I used throughout my career and I hope continue to. Um, but I also won't uh, shortchange some of the impact importance of my work with uh, at Ohio State University with Paul Jansma. Um, and this relates to the helping um, people get tenured and promoted. Um, you know, that Paul was one that used the language that, uh, you know, if you have a nine-month position, summer is for tenure and promotion. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, the one that said, well, if you're if you're working five days a week with your teaching stuff, that means you need to write uh, professional uh, work on the weekends. Paul was a very diligent worker and in some ways probably uh, uh, modeled, uh, and this is a caution, I guess, in terms of that finding that work-life balance. But, but the reality is the expectations on higher education faculty today um, and back in the 90s requires exceptional focus and concentration. And it's so easy to get pulled into other aspects of programs that might help you uh, enjoy your teaching better or even create experiences for your students that are really effective that can be distracting to uh, the expectations for tenure and promotion. Uh, and so I think that I learned uh, both from 
John Dunn and Paul Jansma about the importance of um, being more detail focused in my writing and being attentive to responsive things with uh, writing grant proposals and professional uh, writings. But I that uh, you know there's no substitute for working hard and and understanding what the expectations are in your various job and and so uh, the hard part and I continued to try to model this when I was at Oregon State University and although I don't know if I did so very effectively not all jobs in higher education are the same and not all physicians in higher education require the same levels of talent and expertise but um, and understanding uh, that that is critically important and so many of my students um, who came to uh, Oregon State University for their PhD program and most of those students if not all of them had uh, public school teaching experience and or experience working in community programs for people with disabilities before they started their PhD program uh, but many of them came thinking I think I want to get my PhD and work at a place like Oregon State University or University of Michigan, or at that time, Texas Women's University, that had high-powered uh, PhD students training doctoral students. was really exciting, but the, the reality is we don't have that many programs in the country that train doctoral students, and the expectations for faculty in different level positions uh, are so the ability to understand that for our students, both as they're preparing to uh, for their own dissertation work and, and career, but as they move on into different um, academic uh, strains, uh, they need to understand the expectations of an institution. And, uh, and so if you graduate with your PhD and you want a position at a Penn State or University of Michigan or an Oregon State, you probably ought to be doing a postdoc in research, that you're probably gonna need to have additional research-related training that is gonna poise you in a position to seek research funding, um, and, uh, and as opposed to if you wanted to work, in, uh, and I am not trying to say one is better than the other because they're just different. If you wanted to work at a program like University of Wisconsin La Crosse that has had a, a very long-standing program training people at the master's degree level who do exceptional work in the public schools, that's different than working at a program like the University of Michigan where um, Postdoctoral training is probably essential. Yeah, and so the people in doctoral programs have to understand uh, and work expectations. Uh, and really, uh, if if they want to continue to move into more of a research-focused degree program, they need to have a the research technical technical skills and uh, interest to build research programs that are going to enable them to be externally funded to support that research. So Jeff, you've said a lot there, and um, that a lot of good information to help young faculty. And a couple of things I want to just uh, summarize <clears throat> that I think that I felt is real important, and, and I worry a little bit with with email and technology. How important communication is, and how you learn that from John Dunn, and how you can uh, communicate the importance of communicating. And sometimes you just need to sit down with another faculty member and, and talk rather than go back and forth with email. I, I think that was an important point. Um, it's funny that you mentioned Paul Jansma because I remember I'm at the national conference and I just received my PhD and Paul Jansma came up to me 
and congratulated me. And the first thing he said, he says, congratulations, welcome to the profession. And he looked at me and he said, weekends are for getting tenure. And that's one of the interesting <laughs> things about adaptive PE, I think, is what a small group, uh, you know, what a community we are and, and how everybody um, supports everyone. But the other thing that you talked about, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more, because uh, one of the things that's really impressive um, is how many uh, PhD students you've worked with, especially when you're at Oregon State, but that there's all types of different uh, positions and that most PhDs are going to be at a research one institution, and then their first job might be at like a University of Wisconsin La Crosse or a Cal State University Long Beach, and which is very different. And now you're not at a research one institution, and so um, I think young, you know, young faculty have to figure that out. What kind of position do they want, and and uh, are they the match for that? And, and so do the people that are hiring. Is this person a good match? Are they going to be happy there? Um, at that university. So those are all great points. Um, along those lines, like I said, the, the number of PhD students you supervised, mentored is pretty impressive at Oregon State. Many have been like gone on to be great leaders in AP field. So is there anything else you want to add to that? Like um, as far as like, would you learn working with those those students and young faculty members, you know, that, that would help young faculty members today that are listening to the podcast? Uh, yeah, I think an important part for uh, my role as a uh, a mentor for our students, the PhD students, and I really took this seriously in terms of modeling and mentoring um, a, a life balance uh, oriented uh, value. I mean, I I did plenty of work. I worked probably uh, too much at times, uh, and there I had a lot of students who pretty much. Uh, came to the decision, yeah, I want a PhD, but I don't want to have to be stressed out about writing grants all the time. Um, and then opted not to seek positions in uh, universities that might expect that. Uh, and then other students mm -hmm. definitely came and wanted to have the, the skill set and knowledge to do that. Uh, there's no question, the thing I'm most proud of at, uh, at my time at Oregon which was 23 years, uh, was the PhD students I had the pleasure to work with and, and mentor. That meant more to me than any other kinds of acknowledgments or awards. Uh, and, and frankly, most of those students were a hell of a lot smarter than I am. And, and the, the idea was to try to push them to um, understand where gaps are and gaps in the knowledge. Uh, of what our field knew and knows and where uh, and where priorities need to go um, and then to make sure that their program of study helped them follow a path that they were committed to uh, and so uh, I, I had some tremendous students there who I frankly believe are leaders in the field today uh, in many ways shape or form and will continue to be in those leadership roles for years to come. Yeah, great, great. Some great points there about, you know, what are their gaps in knowledge and what, what do they need to know? And that's one way you can really mentor them. Um, you know, you, you've talked a little bit about mentoring students and also with grant writing. So it's one thing to secure a grant. And sometimes, you know, like, uh, it, it's quite another thing to administrate a grant. 
So what advice would you give there? Like as far as, as because that's a whole nother uh, aspect of this is like, how do you administer that grant? How do you um, keep that going? What, what are a few like um, piece of advice you might give? Well, as most grants should be and, and have been, it's, it's all about uh, data management. It's a, once you get a project, and if you expect to keep a project that has continual funding opportunities, you darn well <clears throat> better um, be able to dememonstrate uh, metrics or success uh, steps that you've been right. able to accomplish. And whether that's um, the students you've recruited and, and their ability to find in the public schools, or whether that's the students that are in your PhD program who have then gone on to uh, universities in other areas, or whether that is um, your efforts around um, equity and inclusion and providing um, opportunities for students who have uh, either they have disabilities or come from underrepresented populations or come from international programs to broaden the experience. And so I think <clears throat> You have to be organized and have to understand and appreciate um, uh, why that data is so critical. And if you um, think you're done once you get the grant, that's that's uh, uh, being pretty short-sighted. Now, that being said, um, we were effective within the context of our programs at Oregon State to create new positions uh, at times, both in terms of negotiating with my department head at Oregon State to say, if we get this grant and fund eight new master's degree students and four new PhD students, we need another academic person to join the faculty, or we needed a secretary and administrative support person to help manage and collect these data, organize that. And so I was fortunate in part because uh, of John Donna as a model at Oregon State but I was effective in getting funding and also negotiating with my peers or my boss, if you will, at the time uh, to add faculty positions. So in doing so, I wasn't the only one at Oregon State University on the faculty. Uh, we we had multiple people join the faculty at points in time, but uh, Jun Koo Yoon uh, was on the faculty with me for probably 16 or 17 years. Uh, and he, uh, he spent probably 23 years at Oregon State totally, but I and he continued to run the program after I left. Uh, and we had other faculty who, who uh, or other people who joined the faculty uh, to help manage some of these programs or have oversight. And so the point there is um, collecting data is critically important, but also negotiating and being able to navigate and negotiate the ability to hire people um, due to your grant success. Uh, is also critically important. Uh, and so um, those were things that uh, enabled us to be successful. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's a great point about um, looking outside the, the funding is that negotiating with, um, you know, your administration. So that, that, that's a really good point. Um, so Jeff, I want to um, talk also while you're at Oregon State, you got involved. We're going to talk a little bit about APENS. I know that Luke Kelly was, was on the podcast um, last year uh, disc and discussing APENS, but um, 
you, you were involved because you were on the executive uh, committee. And um, can you discuss a little bit, looking back now, what do you feel has been the impact of APENS, the AP profession, and do you feel AP still has an identity issue? And if so, why? And what what, what can we do about that? Yeah, I'm happy to give my question there. No, no it's, it's uh, I'm happy to give my opinion. Uh, and the, the challenge I have is that uh, my my data are are old at the, at the moment. You know, I spent eight years as dean and focused on a college uh, of health and human sciences that had approximately 5,000 students and eight different uh, large programs that uh, I helped administrate. So I haven't been attending some of the meetings that would keep me up to date on on how our numbers are with APENS uh, and or uh, sort of the successes that we've had in schools. But I, it's my uh, perspective that the APENS direction was critically important for the field of adapted physical education to try to identify the content knowledge and the right. professional expectations that we needed to uh, outline as a goal for school districts or states or whomever as national certification programs to say, we are not whoever's available to teach the children uh, physical education with kids with disabilities. So it's my perspective that the, the idea of APENS was a great one. And, uh, and our students at Oregon State University were part and parcel stepped up and took the APENS exam and, and were successful along those lines. But it was a little bit interesting, too, because within the state of Oregon, prior to APENS, we actually were one of the first states that had a certification program, uh, an endorsement program. It was an add-on endorsement, but it was at least a recognized endorsement program that uh, would encourage uh, teachers in the state of Oregon to go forward and become credentialed, if you will. It was separate from APENS, but the idea was could you identify a skill set that was critically important or um, content knowledge that would have to be learned in, in academic coursework? And so I think the idea to improve uh, the quality of our adaptive physical education instruction or instructor pool uh, was a good idea. But I don't know how we, if those numbers have continued to grow, uh, it's my perspective from the outside, if you will, that we still have an identity problem. And I'm not sure the we is just adapted physical education or if that continues to be physical education in general and our abilities to um, leverage uh, the importance of the work that we do uh, in our public schools. Uh, and so uh, I could be mistaken there, a tremendous headway, and I guess I hope that I am, but I, I wonder, um, based upon the interactions that I've had with uh, teachers and, uh, and again, my college at, at uh, Oregon State University, College of Health and Human Sciences, included our School of Education at CSU. We did not do physical education, teacher education. That went away probably 15 years before I became dean um, and have uh, a, a university near us, the University of Northern Colorado, that uh, provides high quality uh, teacher training and um, in physical education. So I think there's still an identity problem. I hope I'm wrong there, uh, but I think mm -hmm. the it's the probably the problem is bigger in terms of our abilities 
within school districts to keep physical education a priority, physical education for all kids. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. Yeah, I want to get into what? that more later on in the podcast, but I, I certainly agree with you. When I look back at APENS, it, it did a lot of things, but one of the things that sticks out in my mind is that um, that content knowledge that here, here's a body of, of information. This is what we do in Adaptive P if it didn't do anything else. And I know it, it did that, you know, that we have a body of knowledge. But um, the other thing I think was really important, it, it, it helped shape my thinking about how should I be training uh, future APE teachers, you know, and following APENs and, and what, what is what is it they need to learn? So, yeah, those are all great points. Um, and uh, APEN certainly has had a big impact on a lot of people involved that, that made that go. Um, is there anything else you want to share looking back specifically on higher ed and the teaching aspect of your career um, that you found most rewarding? I know you talked about the students that you've worked with. Certainly that's always rewarding, but anything else you want to share briefly about higher ed and, and your teaching aspect? Well, yeah, I, a couple of things, I guess. Uh, one, sort of an interest to me um, is because of the creation of a program in Europe that trained students to go in the area of adapted physical activity, uh, my program at Oregon State or our program at Oregon State started getting a lot more applicants for PhDs from uh, other countries. Uh, and that was awesome. Part of our challenge was um, most of our funding at that time, at that time being in the 90s, uh, came from the U.S. Office of Special Education Programs. And they would only support doctoral training for students U.S. Uh, and so we could have a really good applicant from Canada or a really good applicant from Ireland or from uh, Israel or wherever, and we uh, couldn't use grant money to support their PhD work. And so one of the things that we were successful in doing, uh, again, at, at Oregon State and other universities uh, were able to do the same, was to get matching internal dollars to help us support international students uh, to come to um, the United States and be trained with improve the quality of instruction for our all of our students because uh, how they do business if you will in other international countries brings a whole different um, perspective uh, and so our as we uh, created more international opportunities at Oregon State I think all of our students gained from that um, because certain countries don't um, have at the top of their priority what we would say as uh, you know, fully included in every academic program within, within right. including physical education. Inclusion is not uh, the goal of some uh, countries. Uh, and I, uh, and so, but bringing different perspectives. And so I think that that really was helpful to, uh, so this Erasmus Mundus program that sort of was right. based out of Catholic University in Belgium would attract students from all over Europe primarily they would go there and then many of those students would apply to Oregon State University and we would accept those that we could fund uh, and because that was only uh, well, that isn't 
100% true because I did have some students that came to Oregon State University that were funded by their, their home university uh, to send them to uh, Oregon State for a PhD because they didn't have a PhD program in, in Singapore, for instance. Uh, so they sent right. them to Oregon State for a PhD to return to their faculty position in Singapore. So we had multiple experiences, but I think broadening the scope of the program with international uh, graduate students was a really positive thing for our program. Uh, because it brought in different viewpoints, it all brought in people in different cultures and uh, and understandings of the world, and and I think that was a really uh, successful part of our our program, and and certainly gave me uh, an opportunity as well to not only work with international students at Oregon State, but then also be available to engage in the international programs at those home universities. And so I was very fortunate in my career to visit other countries and to spend time in the classroom with students or to spend time talking to faculty and administrators at other universities to see what they prioritized and how their work uh, aligned with or did not align with what uh, the expectations in the U.S. were because all too often uh, we've been too focused on what's going on in our home state, right, or what's going on mm -hmm. in our home sure. region or the United States. And if we think um, that we're the end-all be-all in adapted physical activity in the United States, we're, we're missing something because other countries have been doing spectacular work uh, for people with disabilities um, for decades before we have been. Uh, and so we can learn from others. And I think that's a really important uh, part of the experience. So I would be advocating for our young faculty to look at international partnerships both in terms of what it can do for your curriculum, but also what it can do for uh, your own professional development to see what's going on elsewhere. Uh, just look at uh, within in your state or within your um, region. Great, great, great points. Um, so Jeff was for a lot of the listeners who might not be familiar. He was talking about the Erasmus Mundus European Master's Degree Program in Adaptive Physical Activity that's out of out of Europe. So yeah. right, those are great points, and, and you know, um, especially like I like to tell my university students, you know, the United States doesn't end in Las Vegas, you know, because they live in California, and that there's a big country, and, right. and if the only person you're learning from is, you know, one professor, there's just so much to learn out there. So Jeff, um, uh, you, you you know, provided some good insight there, and, and uh, I want to thank you know, everyone for, uh, we're finishing up part two of this podcast and we hope you're going to join us for part three, because this is where we're going to really get into Jeff's ex experiences as an administrator. And then we're really going to get into his thoughts on what are some future considerations for Pete, the AP profession, uh, in general that we started to briefly talk about there in part two.